Welcome to A Break in the Action, where we take a break from the business of our days to focus on outdoor pursuits and the traditional sporting lifestyle. Join us for discussion and interviews on vintage and modern break-action shotguns, sporting literature, outdoor leisure, and reviews of best-in-class gear, accessories, and destinations. So pour yourself a drink. Sit back, relax, and let's take a break in the action. Now here's your host, Shotgun collector, wing shooter, and sporting clays enthusiast, Ryan Dowdy. Covering parts of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, the North Woods of the United States is one of those places where nature reigns supreme. It's also home to what many call the king of all game birds, the ruffed grouse. The American ruffed grouse, scientifically known as Bonassa umbellus, is a medium-sized bird that belongs to the family Phasianidae. It has a stocky build with a plump body, measuring around 16 to 19 inches in length. The grouse has a short, rounded tail and broad, round wings. The plumage of the American ruffed grouse is highly cryptic, providing excellent camouflage. The ruffed grouse is commonly found in areas with dense undergrowth, such as young forest, regenerating clear cuts, aspen stands, and alder thickets. They prefer areas with a mixture of open spaces and cover, as well as access to food sources like buds, leaves, fruits, and insects. Being a primarily ground-dwelling bird, they skillfully navigate the forest floor, but have the ability to burst into short, explosive flights when startled or threatened. Grouse hunting isn't easy. It can require covering a lot of ground while pushing through thick cover. When a hunter finds that he or she is lucky enough to be presented with a shot, it's often through a tangle of limbs and leaves. So what then makes a good choice for a grouse hunting shotgun? Joining me today, I have a panel of real grouse hunting pros. Meadow Kalfeld, Rich Wong, Greg Elliott, and Nick Larson. Let's start off with some quick introductions. Uh, Meadow, would you like to lead us off? Hi, my name is Meadow Kalfeld. I'm here in uh, northern Minnesota in Grand Rapids. Uh, I'm a wildlife biologist. I teach at the college here in town. I also have a side business doing taxidermy and specialize in primarily game birds, but also some waterfowl and do large game as well. And on Instagram, he's known as Whisk Me Nord. Rich, do you want to go next? Yeah, uh, my name is Rich Wong. I live... Uh, South of Meadow, down in uh, just outside of the Twin Cities, and uh, I'm a food photographer by trade, which has uh, also kind of uh, gotten me some opportunities in the outdoor space. So I shoot uh, some some for some brands, uh, sometimes for fun, sometimes for for compensation. So it's been a good career for me. And certainly no stranger to the Break in the Action podcast, uh, Greg. Introduce yourself. Hey, thanks, Ryan. So uh, I'm Greg Elliott. I have a blog, dogsanddoubles.com, on Insta, Dogs and Doubles. Uh, I'm a writer, uh, so writer, bird hunter. I live in New England. I'm north of Boston. 
and uh, I hunt mainly now. I'm in uh, New Hampshire and Maine. I do most of my hunting, but I've hunted out west quite a bit too. Um, and I've hunted, you know, I've done a lot of pheasant hunting, sharp tail hunting, uh, but now it's mainly woodcock and grouse. So, and the one true celebrity in the Upland podcast space, Nick. That's uh, that's pretty lofty there of you, Ryan. But thanks, thanks for having me, and I'm uh, I'm honored to be here, and along with some other familiar voices, folks that I've gotten gotten to know over the years. So it's really fun. But as folks may know, I do host the the Bird Shot podcast, which is an Upland bird hunting centric podcast. I kind of do that in my spare time, and what keeps me most busy is dealing in Italian shotguns. As of the last couple of years, I work for Alpen Gun Company, uh, importing and designing and building custom shotguns, primarily for bird hunters at this point. So those are the things that keep me busy. And anytime I'm not doing those, I'm, I'm usually thinking about getting my two setters out in the grouse woods and definitely looking forward to this fall. Excellent. Well, thank you all for helping out today. Um, I thought that since we're going to deep dive into shotgun topics in just a minute, we could start off with a different but related question. So aside from first aid kits and water and things like that, what are a couple of the pieces of gear or apparel or accessories that you always make sure that you have with you in the grouse woods? Um, Meadow, would you care to lead off again? Well... You guys get progressively more detailed as we go. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I would consider required for going out the grouse woods without, you know, me getting annoyed. Um, but some of the things that I always have with me is, uh, for one, a good pair of boots. In uh, northern Minnesota, it's really wet. I mean, we have, I want to say, 1,400 lakes in our county alone. And so getting from point A to point B without having to think about topping your boots is a big thing for me. So a good pair of neoprene boots like dry shot or muck. Uh, the next is a pair of chaps. Uh, I used to try and fidget with finding a good pair of field pants. And really, there just aren't that many options out there, especially for women. And companies tend to phase out women's pants. So I've switched to chaps almost entirely. And that really helps because a good pair of pants can be turned into field pants by putting those chaps on. And then I'm a big fan of being really simple and basic, so I like an old field vest. Uh, I have an old Filson vest that's at 12 years. I don't know that I can patch the holes anymore, so it's uh, about ready for rotation. But a real basic field vest, um, a strap vest that can go over everything from a light long sleeve shirt to a heavy jacket if need be. And those chaps too, I typically use Filson. There's a couple other brands, including some custom ones that I have. Yep. I, I started moving towards chaps um, last year too. Uh, so boots, chaps, uh, strap vest, great points. Rich, what are a couple of the items that you would um, want to add to the list that you always make sure to have with you when you close the door to your truck? Yeah, so I'm going to be uh, a little more dog-centric than Meadow. I appreciated her uh, her items that she couldn't be without. But I'm going to say uh, number one would be a dog. Uh, I, I, I would guess uh, most of us would probably not be found in the woods without one. Um, so a dog. Uh, number two would be the Garmin Alpha. Um, I just find that it's really good insurance to have that on your dog, uh, to know where they're at at all times. And then, uh, the third one would be a bell. Uh, last year was my first year using one. I didn't know if I'd like it. Um, but for, 
for having it on the pup. Um, it's nice to have that instant feedback to know exactly what's happening, uh, especially if he's ranging out to know, um, you know, did he bust a bird? Uh, is he, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, ab- absolutely. I typically hunt northern Wisconsin, and I, and I know the three of you that hunt in Minnesota can relate to just how thick the woods can be in this part of the U.S., um, especially where the where the grouse like to be. You, you've got to be able to keep track of your dog. Uh, good points. Greg, would you like to go next? Ah, uh, Yeah, so um, unfortunately, Rich took all of mine. So dog, <laughs> uh, some, so I run an alpha too, and I always run a bell. Um so the alpha and the bell, I, so I've always run a bells, but the alpha, I don't know when those came out, but that completely, uh, so as anyone knows, once you use those, they're a real game changer. Um, I also have, uh, I wear a little brass compass that sort of, I wear a strap vest and I have this little compass thing that like mounts on my vest and I can look down at it and always get a general sense of where I am. So that's something I always have on. Other than that, just the obvious, I have good boots and you know, I wear a strap. I wear a strap vest now. I don't wear like a, an old school vest anymore. I have a strap vest. It's a little lighter weight and it breathes better. So but that's about it. Okay, Nick, they're making it tough for you and I to add anything unique to this list. Um, can you think of anything? <laughs> yeah, I got I got one, maybe maybe two different things, but th- they're all honestly great recommendations and kind of right in line with my thinking as well. I will say that. Uh, my, going with a little moder- more modern techie approach, uh, Onyx Hunt is is definitely one that I I mean I don't go anywhere without it because it's installed on my phone and it's always with me to begin with. But I get a ton of use out of Onyx Hunt, which for anybody that doesn't know, it's a mapping application uh, in its simplest sense. But it's it's a lot more than that. It's giving you satellite information and and just a lot of information about the land that you're on, whether that's cover and habitat type. Um, you've got a lot of tools. You can see where you are on the map. You can you can measure distances. You can you can track routes. And I just I use that that so often. While I'm I'm pretty much doing most of my navigating in the woods with Onyx, and then that would be sort of paired with uh, I run a little compass on my vest like Greg does, and probably everybody here just so you can kind of at a at a quick glance kind of keep an eye on the direction you're moving. But to see the bigger picture of of the land that you're walking through, Onyx Hunt is is a really really valuable tool for me in that regard. So I use that a ton. And then it, you know what what bird hunter is 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 any good without a good bird vest? You, you got to have a you got to have a bird hunting vest if you're out there upland hunting and. Um, really this, the strap vest concept was, is something that was established a long time ago, but I think it was, it kind of hit right on and it's been, it's been improved at, at various times and junctures throughout the course of history. And, and recently I feel like we've seen some really, really nice additions to the strap vest market. And I, I currently wear a final rise summit vest, which is really taking that traditional strap vest format and just modernizing it with a few sort of innovations as far as the waist belt and shoulder strap system. So it's it's a really simple concept, but a good strap vest goes a long ways um, in, in making you more comfortable and efficient out in the field. So love that. And then I was definitely going to say a bird dog, kind of like Rich did, but to be a little bit more specific the the garmin alpha is is something that i use as well it's just the peace of mind that you get cutting a a, a bigger ranging pointing dog 
loose in the woods with that GPS collar on it. Just it really allows me uh, that peace of mind to just kind of keep quiet and not get too involved and be hacking on my dogs all day because I can just look down at my Garmin watch and and see where they are. So that just really increases my enjoyment level and and our effectiveness in the woods. And then I, I think it's good to point out both both. Greg and Rich, I too, a lot of times you think you have a GPS collar on your, on your dog. You don't need a bell, but I, I really, really like the bell on the dog as well, because you get instant feedback on, on what the dog's doing as far as its pace. Is it working a bird? Did it bump a bird? You you can, you can hear a lot in a bell that a GPS just isn't going to tell you. So that combination of a GPS and a bell is, is something I don't go in the woods without either. Yeah, I agree with everything listed so far. Um, boots, I actually got turned on to the uh, the Le Chameau boots um, several years ago, and, and I really, really like those. You definitely don't want to skimp on, on your boots. Um, here's something that hasn't been mentioned yet, uh, gloves. I always wear a pair of leather gloves when I bird hunt, and finding the perfect pair took me quite a while. Um, I finally discovered Geyer gloves. Uh, these are gloves that are mainly used by cattle ropers and and people that that do horseback work um they come in elk and kangaroo and cowhide probably the most important um characteristic of them is they fit perfectly where where most gloves that you're going to get out of just a regular old gear catalog are going to come in small medium and large um these are sold by glove size from like a size six up to a size 13 uh, so they're going to fit really well without being sloppy or um, or bulky Second thing I might add is a whistle. Um, like most of you, I use the Garmin Alpha 10, um, and I pair that with a Garmin Phoenix watch, and, and that really lets me stay on top of where my dogs are and what they're doing. I tend not to use the tones that the collars can generate very much, but instead I just like like a whistle. Uh, a few years ago, a field trial buddy introduced me to using shepherd's whistles or, or sheep herding whistles. The main difference with these is that you can pretty easily alter the the note, I guess, or the or the tone of the whistle command and give a few more options to your dog. The one that I use is the Logan Supreme. It's a uh, it's all brass and sort of looks like a diaphragm call for turkey hunting. Okay, so now getting on to the real topic of this episode. Let's start off with just some general characteristics that any shotgun you carry into the grouse woods needs to have. Uh, Greg, how about you get us started this time? I want it to weigh like six pounds to six and a half pounds. It has to have two barrels, two triggers. And these days I like having a pistol grip or a semi-pistol grip. I'm not, I used to only shoot straight grips, but now I like pistol grips and like something more to hold on to. So. Well, Greg just set the bar so high there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Greg, why don't you like the English grip anymore? Uh, it's not as comfortable to carry. I find it's not as comfortable to carry. Yeah, and I spend like a lot we- of time walking with a gun in my right hand. And I yeah. want to hold it by the stock. And it's just, it's just more comfortable to carry a pistol grip. I agree with that. For yeah. me. And I also find there's a little more control over the gun, too. Uh so I think it. I think I get better, cleaner mounts with a pistol grip, and again, it's just more comfortable in my hand. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Meta. Yeah, that's for me. It's consistency and uh, getting it to the same point each time you shoulder it, and then also the fact that it's easy to carry and not too heavy for me is huge because you know I 
I'm not a hugely statured person. I'm smaller, and so a lighter gun that's easy to carry is really important, especially if it fits. Nick, how about you? Greg makes a, make, makes a great point in that when you're going through the grouse cover, it is often challenging, and so being able to one hand your gun while you're kind of fighting away the brush and the other hand is definitely important, and that plays into something Meadow said with, with the weight of the gun. Um, I... In thinking about this conversation, I there's there's kind of a famous quote in one of my favorite books on grouse hunting, which is New England Grouse Shooting by William Hartnett Foster, and he 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 summed this up in a in a broad way that I think is you know it's hard to it, it's hard to define a grouse gun better than he did. So I'll just share the quote. I, I set it aside here, but he said an ideal grouse gun may be defined broadly as the one that a certain hunter will find most pleasant to carry to the spot where a grouse is to be shot at. And there prove most efficient when the shot is made. So I love that quote because it's simple and it doesn't call out things like how many inches the barrels are and, and certain grips or what gauge is it and configurations. It's just a girl's gun is such a personal thing and it, it's definitely going to vary from person to person. And for a lot of people, it's it's something that, you know, it's a gun that they enjoy carrying in the woods. They like to look at it. They like to mount it. They like to shoot it. For others, it's it's more of a tool. Um, and everybody kind of finds their place somewhere along that spectrum. But when it comes to, to weight and certain characteristics of, of the gun, this is a gun that we're carrying a long ways through, through difficult cover and we're shooting it a little bit each time. It's, it's not something that we're shooting a lot all day. So being able to carry it and move it around and use it efficiently when you do get an opportunity, those are important things for a grouse gun in my opinion. Rich, can you add anything to the list of general characteristics? No, I think everyone uh, pretty much touched on everything that I was going to say. So seems like seems like we're all kind of on the on the same page. Yeah, I do. Um, my my latest gun does have an English stock, so I have enjoyed shooting that. Uh, I don't have any real science behind if I shoot one better than the other, but um, I do like how they look um, as a as a visual person, as a creative, I, it's pleasing to the eye. Um, I just like the lines um, that it makes, so it's, it's a little sex, a little sexier to me. <laughs> okay, I might, I might just add: um, is gauge an important general characteristic that you would list, or, or not so much? I don't have a strong opinion on it, but I like a twenty gauge because it's easy to get, especially when you're on the road. That's one of the things that um, I have sub gauges but i prefer a 20 gauge because it's easy to acquire the ammunition if you're on the road or just finding especially during covid times you know that was really a benefit to have had a lot of 20 gauge on hand and made it a little easier to find it in the stores that's my reasoning yep. yeah, I, yeah agree. I, I i i lean towards uh the gauge isn't that important to me but now i'm uh i'm more concerned with you know, like the weight that it is, but I agree with metal hundred percent. Like, so I don't like short chambered guns that much anymore. So two and a half inch guns, just because it's hard to get, it's, it's a pain in the butt to get ammo for them. Uh, or it has been recently. So I, I like two and three quarter inches on whatever I'm shooting. So I would just, I would just echo what both metal and Greg said about the gauge. I, I think so often the conversation around shotguns starts with gauge and it's just, it's, it's a lot further down the list for me as I've as I've learned more and more and gotten got a chance to shoot more and more guns. It's just, you can shoot an effective payload for grouse out of anything from a 
28 to a 12. I, I don't include the 410 in there just because for us mere mortals, you know, I, I think you can, you can do whatever you need with a 28, 16, 20, or 12. Uh, I know some people like their 410, but uh, I think with those main four gauges, you can shoot effective payloads for grouse out of any of them. So I, I just, I like Greg said, I prioritize a lot of other characteristics about the gun uh, above gauge. And just because something's a 12 gauge doesn't mean it's a specific weight. And conversely, a, a 28 gauge isn't necessary. You know, it's you, there's an idea that it's probably going to weigh lighter than a 12 gauge, but uh, there's just so much variability from model to model and manufacturer to manufacturer that I just start with other characteristics when I'm thinking about the ideal gun um, and gauges. Gauge is sort of part of that. And it kind of depends on how you're going about acquiring this gun too. Um, sometimes you have maybe a gun checks all your boxes, but it's not the gauge you were looking for. In that case, you know, I think we would all be suggesting maybe you consider a, a different gauge if it checks every other box. But Yep. Something that I would add is that it has to be a gun that fits you and that you shoot yeah. well. Grouse have a knack for flushing right when your feet aren't set or you're falling over a stump or you're getting smacked in the face with a branch. Having a gun that always finds its way to a perfect mount and, and a perfect cheek weld, I think, is, is a must. Um, there's always enough to worry about without having to think about, you know, your, your gun mount. Also, how about a durable, robust build? As illustrated just a minute ago, grouse cunning can be hard, and, and it's also hard on shotguns. And I'd like to add, you know, that idea of it being durable, but also consistent. Um, you know, I've had, I've, we'll talk about, models and stuff later but i've had a few deviations and gone to different brands or different models and have had a lot of issues either mechanical or consistency and that really hits your confidence in the woods it's one less thing that i want to have to worry about so for me it's a consistent gun that's also durable and you're not afraid to use it like you said i the last thing i want to do is think about scratching my gun or or having to be concerned about breaking it because it's too fragile (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, uh, reliability is important. So, it just in the in the basic sense, it to me it needs to be a, a break action style shotgun. Okay, well, I think we've covered the general characteristics of a good gun for grouse. Um, so now let's move on to the specifics of each of your grouse guns. Um, what are you carrying this upcoming season, Greg? Will you lead us off? Uh sure, sir. So I. Let's see. I usually I usually bring a bunch of guns with me, but um, sort of the ones I use most often. I have a couple uh, sixteen gauge over and unders that I use. I have a German one and a British one, and so they're pretty similar. They so they have twenty eight inch barrels. Uh, they have double triggers, two and three quarter inch chambers. Uh, their stocks are about like fifteen inches long. Um, they're not they're not super droppy, but they're not really high i think they're like two and a half at the butt uh and those are pretty much what i use and it, like choke wise i'm not even sure the chokes are kind of open i really don't i don't pay a lot of attention to choke as long as it's not super tight i don't want to have full chokes um but other than that uh you know chokes really don't matter that much and uh but those are the guns i'm usually carrying so the old oh, one of them has a sling on it. so the gun i take most of the time has a sling on it and uh, so that's something that I picked up, you know, recently, last couple of years, I started using a sling and it's, it's much nicer to just have that. Uh, I don't carry a gun load. I don't carry my guns loaded 
because I hunt over pointing dogs. So I just did carry you, it. Um, did you add that sling or did you have it put on? I know that a lot of Continental shotguns already have swivels installed. Yeah, yeah. So I have, so I have one of my guns, the, uh, so one of my OUs is a German gun. And uh, so I had, it had sling swivels on it. And I put a sling on it and I realized how nice it was to just have your hands free and not have to worry about that. And, uh, and like I said, I also, I, because of the way I hunt, I can just have it slung over my shoulder most of the time. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have to have it in hand, uh, which gets to be tiresome after a little while. It's just easier to have it over your shoulder. And it just frees up your hand too. Cause obviously if you have dogs and you're working the dogs, you got to use your hands to, other junk. So it's just easier sure. all around. Rich, so. <clears throat> tell us about your shotgun. Yeah. Um, mine's going to sound pretty similar to Greg's. Uh, right now I'm shooting a uh, 16 gauge Upland gun company, uh, 28 inch barrels, double trigger, uh, concave rib. And I'm shooting two and three quarter, um, uh, English stock is probably the only difference between mine and Elliot's. So <laughs> I have, I have a feeling we're going to hear about that brand at least one more, one more time. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you might, you might. And, uh, I do have plans, uh, Nick to, to call Nick and, and work on possibly another one with a uh, different gauge. So, okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, Nick, you're up. Yeah, we'll, we'll segue right into me after after Rich. Well, as uh, we may remember from the intro to the show, I do work for Upland Gun Company, and we import shotguns from an Italian manufacturer by the name of RFM. Um, so consider me biased, but uh, it's it's definitely a it brings me a lot of joy um, working with our customers and and also being lucky to to carry and hunt with with some of these guns. I've got to play around with a few over the last three to three to four seasons, I think. Um, and I, the guns that I've gone to, I've, it's, it's been different the last two years, uh, but the guns are very, very much the similar, similar the last two seasons that I've hunted, which would be, you could really describe them as they're side-by-side shotguns, sub gauge, straight grip, double trigger, splinter four, and kind of the classic side-by-side shotgun profile, which to me has just kind of become synonymous with upland bird hunting. You know, I, I, I didn't grow up with an affinity for side-by-side shotguns. I, I hunted with pumps and, and even semi-autos for a little bit. I just, I wasn't really a, really a gun guy growing up, even though I've been grouse hunting since I was uh, really young, but I, over, over time and from talking to folks like Greg and, and kind of going down the rabbit hole of vintage guns, I've, it, they've just kind of swept me away a little bit. So now I, I love side-by-side shotguns, and that's kind of all I shoot. And the ones that I own tend to look very similar, again, with some of those ca- traditional characteristics of the Splinter 4 and the straight grip. And uh, I, I've shot a lot of 20-gauge. I really like 20-gauge, as Metal brought up earlier. It, it's hard to argue with the practicality of 20-gauge as far as variety of ammo, availability of ammo. I mean, there's not much you can't do with a modern 20-gauge, so I do love that gauge. Last year was the first year that I, I finally went sort of all in on a 28-gauge and hunted the entire season with a 28. I kind of, at the outset of the season, I, I had a similar 28 and 12, thinking I would I would try both of them, but... Once I started knocking birds down with the light little 28 gauge and just kind of saw the effectiveness of it, it was hard to pick up any other gun. So um, shooting side by sides and and shooting 28 gauges now, I'm kind of kind of drinking the grouse hunter Kool Aid, I guess. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Meadow, Meadow, what are you carrying this year? 
Well, um, currently I'm shooting a Beretta Silver Pigeon 3. It's a Joel Etchen special. It's 20 gauge, 28 sub gauge combos. And, uh, you know, I really like an over under because of the depth of the break. So I don't use a sling because it's one more thing to get caught on stuff unless I'm deer hunting or like mountain hunting for big game. But uh, I like to be able to balance that gun on my shoulder or in the crotch of my arm so that I can have both hands free. And so um, I find that really inconvenient and frustrating about a side-by-side is that a lot of them tend to have a real shallow break and they don't balance as easily in the woods for me. Um, And it's, you know... I've had, yeah, I have several 686 and 687 frame Berettas, and I've gone away from them a few times and always feel like I've been burned one way or another, so I keep coming back to them. They're very reliable, they're consistent, they're durable, and, uh, you know, I'm not the person who leads with my hand, I lead with my gun when I run through the woods, and a lot of people might be upset at me for that, because I have a pretty gun, and some folks would never use it, but... Uh, honestly, after five years of pushing the woods with this gun, there's barely a nick on it. It has a matte stock and some really pretty wood, but I was impressed by that last fall, you know, how much I use it. It's barely uh, any sort of real obvious blemishes on the gun, but again, it was a gift. The gun was a gift. You know, obviously it's a pretty expensive combination, but uh, relative to what I'm used to, and I use it. And so it's one of those things that has a lot of beauty and a lot of function uh, as well. And that's kind of the one thing I will say about the guns is that, you know, you got to be able to use them. And I'm probably a little harder on guns than most people are. Yeah. Meadow, I think you make a really good point about the break angle of a side-by-side versus an over and under. That isn't new to me, but relating that to how securely you can lay it over your forearm um, is a really good consideration. Um, so I guess. So I, Meadow, I have a question for you. Do you carry your gun open? Yeah, over my either the crook of my arm or over my shoulder, depending on uh, what I'm doing. Sometimes, huh. if I'm moving through the brush fast, or if I'm moving long distances and I'm carrying that gun, sometimes I'll uh, break or put it close the gun. But the thing is, is that it depends, you know. But a lot of times when I'm going longer distances, I'll have the gun broke. Like say walking in or out on a trail to hit a spot that I want to go to. So it's not like I'm sure. doing the same thing all the time. It de- depends on what, what I'm doing at that moment, how tired I am, you know, where my focus is if I'm dealing with a young dog or something along those lines. So it, it really depends. But I, I really like to be able to put that gun over my shoulder or the crook of my arm and not have to worry about it. Right. And do you carry it that way? Is it, is it just more comfortable that way or do you do it for safety or? Uh, it depends. Uh, you know, sometimes, yeah, it is more comfortable, but I take a lot of people hunting for the first time, um, be they students or whoever. And so, you know, a lot of times I am more concerned about safety in those situations. And that's why I like a break action is because you can really see, obviously it's clear or not, but, um, you know, really it's, it, it depends on the situation and uh, there's a lot of reasons why I like it, but that to be able to balance and carry that gun like that is pretty valuable to me. Huh? Yeah. That's interesting. I've never heard of anybody doing that. So So I guess it's my turn. Um, I might be committing a bit of heresy here since I'm hosting a podcast on break action shotguns, but I wouldn't be giving an honest answer if I didn't say that for the past several years, I've been carrying a Benelli legacy 20 gauge semi-automatic. 
this gun for me, it just checks so many of those boxes that we listed. And, and most importantly, um, I just shoot it um, better than probably any shotgun uh, that I own. I don't love that, but it's, uh, but it's true. I feel like I'm standing up in front of an AA meeting right now. Uh, you know, hi, my name is Ryan and I hunt with a semi-automatic. Um, there is an over and under that's caught my eye though. Uh, Benelli has just recently added to their 828U lineup a model called the Upland, um, and in 20 gauge, this gun weighs under six pounds, and it's got 24 inch barrels. Um, the 828U is still in no way a traditional break action shotgun, I guess, um, but it would, you know, be an improvement over my legacy in, in certain ways. Um, I looked it over at my at my local gun club a few times, and even shot a few rounds of skeet with it. Um, picking the gun up cold, I was surprised just how well I shot it. Uh, it's an easy gun to move around and. And without being whippy or, or erratic, um, have have any of you guys have you seen this 828U Upland model? I had not, but I'm I'm looking at it now. I uh, actually the first double gun I ever bought. I always wanted a the Browning Satori Upland Special, mainly because they called it an Upland gun and it had a straight grip and that had 24 inch barrels. And uh, after a long time, I did finally find one and got it, and I still have it. I don't I don't carry it much, but it's a uh, yeah, kind of looks a lot like that one, minus the English grip. Ryan, Brian, yeah. hey, Ryan, I, I got to tell you, this thing's ugly. <laughs> hey, hey, I didn't say it won any awards for its looks. in its design. <laughs> <laughs> the, what the heck is this thing? No, the, the biggest thing that caught my eye was those 24-inch barrels. I wanted to hate it, but the but the few times I'd shot it, it just worked for me. Uh, we'll, we'll see where I land on it this fall, uh, but I think we can all agree it, it'd be an improvement over the semi-automatic. Uh, no, it's, it's, <laughs> you can suffer with it on your own. I just don't. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. But, but I mean, I, 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 I'm sure tonight. I'm sure it's a nice gun, and it's also new. You know, I, I, uh, I've gone. Uh, so I, I, I tend to always have old stuff, uh, but I, just, I see a lot of benefits to new stuff, and I'm sure this gun has all those benefits. It's just I'm looking at it online, and it's. It's one of those weird Franken designs. It's got like a, you know, it's almost like a semi-auto action design on yeah, it. It's pretty, pretty it's long strange. frame. Yeah. Well, one thing to to kind of point out, like we've been talking about side by sides and over unders a little bit, and and typically over unders do way more than a comparable side by side just because of the depth of that action and um, and. That that is one thing that looks like Benelli. They were they were probably aiming for the weight in this because there looks like you can get a twelve gauge at six point four pounds and twenty gauge at five point eight, which is really pretty nice weight for an upland gun in either of those gauges. So yeah. you got that part right. Yeah. Hey Ryan, on the on the topic of modern guns, did we talk at all about custom fit uh, being a part of an important part of a grouse gun? Uh, we we talked about proper fit. Um, yep. But I don't know that we talked about custom. Is that so? So my fit. my newest shotgun is custom fit. So I'm wondering. I mean, Nick, you have probably the most experience in this category. Do you want to talk about that? Is that important to you? Well, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think Ryan kind of summed it up when he said a gun that fits you and one that you shoot well, right? Like if you, I guess the biggest thing I learned in in going down the vintage gun rabbit hole is that's when I first learned about gun fit really. And, and probably talking to Greg early on in some of my conversations with him about the Fox Sterling worth that I have. Um, I never really thought about gun fit until I had a gun that really didn't fit me. And that's, that's when you get into a situation where 
you're doing kind of what you've always done, shooting a gun, and birds are just not falling. And unless you, you have somebody that knows what they're doing that can set you up next to a patterning plate and help you understand where you're shooting that gun and why you're shooting it in that spot versus maybe where you're looking, um, it's a critical component to, to gun fit because the last thing we want to do is go walk all day. And, and even though we are typically spending our time in beautiful places and following bird dogs around, but when you get that opportunity uh, after a long day of walking, you don't want to have a gun that, that you can't shoot very well. So having a gun that, that fits you and you shoot well is, is definitely important however you, however you arrive at, at that place. And I think it's worth investing in that eventually to have a gun cut to fit you um it's certainly not something that i would recommend for someone just getting into it but if it becomes an important part of your life and you care that much about it it's worth getting a gun you know getting measured and getting your gun fit to you right right okay great stuff you guys um i'm gonna wrap us up with a final question for each of you uh pointer or setter for grouse and woodcock uh, Rich will let you lead off. Um, anyone who follows your Instagram page will already know the answer to this, but go ahead. Yep. Uh, I am a pointer, I guess. Uh, and it's a Visla, um, which is a Hungarian pointer. Okay. Yep. Uh, Meadow, how about you? Well, I have one of both, but my setter doesn't set at points. <laughs> <laughs> are they, are they English pointers or? Oh, sorry. I've got a, a Deutsch Drahthar. This is what I use to run. I had um, probably my last one until my kid is done, just because I'm tired of fighting big, strong dogs. And then uh, I've got an English setter that she's uh, my younger dog. Uh, Nick? I'm afraid if I don't say English setter, I'm going to get bit by the two that are looking at me right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely English setters for me. They're, I... I that's why I first stumbled into my first bird dog was an English setter, and I do lots of grouse hunting, and I uh, I love hunting with them in the woods. So I'm uh, English setters definitely, but I I do like them all. Okay, and Greg, English pointers. Well, I'm half worried that Greg is going to call one of my dogs ugly, like he did the shotgun I mentioned. <laughs> uh, but I hunt with two uh, Nav to breeds, um, an Italian Spinoni and a Poodle pointer. Uh, both dogs hunt completely different with the poodle pointer kind of slipping more through cover and, and covering a lot of ground. And then um, our Spinoni uh, just kind of busting through brush and, and working pretty close. Um, but but we, we three of us make a pretty good team um, as long as, as, as I don't miss. So <laughs> I want to thank each of you for listening and thank our guests today for their help. Um, links to each of their social and websites are going to be in the podcast description. If you haven't already, make sure you check them out. Until next time, thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Break in the Action. Want to hear your voice on a future episode? Leave a message, ask a question, or suggest a topic on our listener line at 317-662-4520. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and visit us at abreakintheaction.com.